0: You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Fair Game podcast. Uh, today's episode's a great one. If you happen to be watching on video, you will notice that I've got my, uh, my Mets hat on, my World Series 2015 Mets hat, and that's in honor of uh, today's Steve Cohen, officially becomes the owner of the New York Mets. So anybody out there who's a Mets fan, you know, been waiting to ditch the will ponds for a long time. So i got my World Series hat on, hoping that it's a, uh, a sign of things to come. So that's just, you know, a little side note there. The show today is fantastic. I've got a guest on who is uh, honestly one of my favorite people in the industry. He's an acclaimed public speaker, having delivered keynotes across the fair industry. He's currently the head of the Texas FFA Foundation, and he joins us now from Wichita Falls, Texas. Aaron Alejandro, welcome to the show, my friend.
0: Hey, Robert. Glad to be here.
1: So uh, if you could share with some folks that aren't familiar with you uh, exactly what's your role at the Texas FFA Foundation and what the foundation does.
0: Yeah, so for the last 20 years, I've been the executive director of the Texas FFA Foundation, uh, basically, the bottom line is we are the development arm of Texas Team AgEd, and we've been, you know, I, I, I will, you know, I guess when they say you're proud of something, you like to share it. Well, I'm proud of what we've done, uh, our foundation and our efforts and our relationships. We we provide about 2.3 million dollars in award and academic scholarships every year. Uh, our enrollment is a little over 200,000 in Texas FFA membership is in excess of 139,000.
1: It's big numbers.
0: What's interesting about that, a lot of times people, when they hear FFA or 4-H, they think, well, that's only in the rural areas. Not true. Uh, In the state of Texas, Harris County, Houston, is the fourth largest city in America. That one county has more FFA members, chapters, and teachers than 25% of the United States combined. And it's very urban. So... You know, I'm I'm very proud of the growth, but obviously, you know, my job is to make sure that there are more doors there. Uh, Anybody that's ever heard me speak knows that one of the examples that I use is uh, my son was in second grade and it was bring your daddy to school day. What does your daddy do? And I'm thinking, well, how am I going to explain to a bunch of second graders that I'm a professional development officer? I mean, I live in a town that's got Euro-NATO joint jet pilot training programs and police officers and firemen. And then we've got Chandler's daddy. Chandler's daddy, he's a beggar. He asks for money. (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm struggling to think, well, how do I do this? And so I went up to the board and on the board, I, I drew a little bitty door. And I asked the kids, I said, how many of you could get through that door? And they said, no, sir. And then I drew a really big door. And I said, now, how many of y'all could get through there? And they said, yes, sir. I said, that's what I do. I make doors bigger.
1: That's so a great way putting it.
0: Whether it's FFA members or whether it's teachers or all of these incredible folks that I've had the honor of meeting through the Fairs and Expo business, anything that we can do, just like your podcast, anything that we can do to make doors bigger, that means that somebody's going to have an opportunity. So I commend you on what you're doing. Uh, I love the work that I do working with kids. Um, you've heard me say it many times. Abraham Lincoln said that the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. Yep. So I'm a big believer in what we do with kids. Uh, we will reap that down the road. So I, anyway, agree. I was way too long, but thank you so oh much. Oh, no.
1: You you'd speak all you want. Uh, you know, I really want to make sure that. The guests um, that come on the show have an opportunity to share what they do and, and help the listeners understand where they fit into this big old puzzle that we have called the, uh, you know, the fair and agricultural industry in this country. And the reason we wanted to do the podcast was, frankly, to tell the 2020 story of our fairs and service members and, and agricultural members across the country. Looking back, um, you know, I have pretty much talked about this squarely on every single podcast, this, this one point. I know January and February seemed like it was uh, a lot of unknowns. What's gonna happen with this pandemic? How long is it gonna last? How serious is it? And then March of 2020 happens and you had some big cancellations there in Texas. First week of March, South by Southwest pulls the plug. Austin pulls the plug on on that event. Um, And then just a week later, not only did World Health declare it a, a global pandemic on March the 11th, but Houston cancels their show. And that was a big eye-opener for a lot of us, Houston being one of the, if not the biggest in our industry. What are you feeling as you start seeing major events like that pull the plug?
0: Well, you know, Robert, it's, it's like life. I mean, it, we're all given a choice of how we're going to deal with it. And the choice is we can either react or respond. And, you know, it's like going to the doctor. If the doctor gives us medicine, he says, or she says your body's reacting to it, that's not good. We want our body to respond to it. And what I would say is when we're dealt these blows in life, that's our our, our choice is how we handle it. And the one thing that I will say that I'm, I'm impressed with, with the FAIR folks, um, I love the hashtag FAIR strong. Absolutely love it. And if anybody's listening or watching to this podcast, if you have not seen Robert Smith's video that he did about Fair Strong, y'all, I'm telling you, go find it, watch it, share it, post it. Because to me, it's a testament of what we're talking about. What, what I've shared with people, Robert, is this. If we're involved in agriculture, this is nothing new to us. We've dealt with disease. We've dealt with markets. We've dealt with international uncertainty. We've dealt with you know market fluctuation. In the world of agriculture, if anybody's learned to pivot, we have. Because we have to pivot with things that are out of our control. So because of that, those opportunities to pivot, I believe that in times like this, they help make us resilient. And I would say that the fairs and expos are gonna be stronger on the other side of this. They're gonna be better on the other side of it. And by the way, if you're a fair expo out there and you're listening right now, uh, if you have not seen the Gallup poll study, on agriculture. Go find it, share it, post it. Robert, you need to post it on this podcast. Gallup, in the 20 years that Gallup has been polling Americans, for the first time, farmers, ranchers, and agriculture in the food industry were in the top five. Agriculture was number one trusted industry by Americans for the first time in polling history.
1: That's if pretty amazing ever, because there's there's a heck of a lot of disinformation going on out there from, you know, animal rights groups and and anti-ag kind of people. So that's amazing that people have been able to cut through all that nonsense and say they trust the agriculture in the industry.
0: That's my point. So for the first time, we have something that we can say according to Americans, we trust our farmers and ranchers. And then what I would say is, hey, what a compliment to the fair's and expo's and what you do for our communities you bring together families you bring together exhibitors and sponsors and stakeholders and policymakers and you create these extraordinary experiences for families and they're all centered around a lot of times where their food comes from there's entertainment that's great I, I, that's a part of the experience but helping people connect to their food especially when we went through what we went through with COVID, where in those early days where people got a little antsy because there wasn't what they were looking for on the shelves, um, it really speaks volumes to what this organization and what our fairs and expos do. So we're, we're resilient, Robert. We're going to pivot. We're going to get over this. And guess what? We're, we're going to be back strong. And, uh, it, you know, I, I just say we weather the storm.
1: Oh, yeah, we will for sure. And, uh, um, you know, Sarah hey, got a little tired early on of hearing because my, my wife, Sarah, she's still within the public school system here in Albuquerque. And she would hear all over the Internet, you know, we're all in the same boat. And then she had somebody that she saw. It was a quote. And they made a point that, no, 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 we're all in the same storm, but we're all in very different boats in that storm. And I think that's a really good way to look at it. Um, you know, Larger ships are probably going to weather this storms better than smaller fishing boats, and sometimes those smaller fishing boats might have our farmers in it. Are you able to take, you know, we've spoken a little bit about, you know, where the food comes from and, and the impact on the ag industry. Can you take a little bit and talk about how farmers across Texas have had to navigate 2020?
0: Well, yeah, I would say everybody in the food industry, everybody in food, everybody in food has has, has had to learn something through this. By the way, this was a great opportunity that I used to share with ag teachers and extension agents. If there's ever been a time for us to help people understand the food supply chain, it is through COVID. It was right now. Because what happened was, all of a sudden, people became anxious because they thought there wasn't enough food. There's plenty of food. I mean it, it there were some distribution issues there was some stocking issues but there's plenty of food but what happened was all of a sudden your packing houses started dealing with covid and then you start backing up the food chain you start backing up the food supply chain right now when that happens that goes all the way down to the person that puts the seed in the ground to feed animals for consumption now when you're not driving your kids to school, when your kids aren't at school eating, when you're not driving to a restaurant, if you're not eating in a restaurant, if you're not driving to an entertainment venue, if you're not eating at an entertainment venue, if you're not driving to a cruise ship, getting on a cruise ship, eating on a cruise ship, going to a baseball game, a sporting event, the bottom line is economies are driven by consumption, by supply and demand. And when we shut things down, we took away a lot of that ability to consume. Yep. Our consumption numbers in energy and our consumption numbers in agriculture went down. We, as, as we've opened things back up and as we begin to be responsible in the way we open things up, guess what? Consumption is going up. The, the economy is beginning to move again. We've we've had an opportunity here. To help people connect the dots when we say food supply chain we've been able to help connect the dots because of where we've been in terms of the specifics of what farmers and ranchers are doing they're like everybody else Robert they're being innovative they're being creative just like you um, some of them are, are taking their own product they're having it processed themselves and they're selling it on social media they're having people come and just purchase it I meant That's the beauty of this incredible platform that we've been given, is we now have an ability to reach out and say, hey, I've got my own farm fresh fruit and vegetables or animal protein, come and get it. And people are coming and getting it. So we've learned an appreciation about our food. Uh, We've also learned how important it is that we all work together. Uh, I've said many, many times through this, Robert, that two of the things that have really come out of this for for all of us, is innovation and empathy.
1: Empathy is um, huge.
0: We've all come out looking at things differently and saying, is there maybe another way that we can connect? But we also, like you said, I love that example of the different ships. We're all in the storm. So we've all got to learn to be empathetic through that storm.
1: Yep. Yep. Now, some folks listening uh, may not realize that the Texas FFA, and think I'm assuming most state FFAs, just like IFE or Florida Fairs or any of our other associations all hold an annual convention. And I know you and I had spoke along with Sarah early on about doing a collaboration for your event this summer in Dallas. Um, But then that ended up not happening. How does the pandemic impact your annual convention there in Texas?
0: Major impact. So our FFA convention in Texas is the largest youth led convention in the state. Uh, it's in the top five of all conventions in the state of Texas. Um, it was It's over 14,000 people for five days. So huge, huge that we went from an in-person convention to a virtual convention. So uh, in terms of pivot, yeah, we made the pivot to the largest convention we've ever had. It just looked different. It felt different. It sounded different. Yeah. But... We didn't. We didn't just throw in the towel and say, "Well, we can't do anything." Um, you know, Zig Zigler, uh, Zigler Corporation. Tom Zigler's on the, on my foundation board, and Tom was was nice enough to do a, a workshop for a, a webinar for all of the uh, the uh, International Association of Affairs and Expos, and he talked about the stronger mindset. And I love I love the quote. We've used it a lot in, around our our shop. Uh, we expect the best. We prepare for the worst, but we capitalize on what comes. So nobody saw COVID coming. But there were some organizations that had balance sheets that were strong enough because they prepared for the worst. Yep. They expected the best, but most organizations, I've noticed, they are capitalizing on what's been presented to them. That's where that empathy and innovation comes in.
1: Right. And, and I think empathy is a really key thing right now. I mean, we've got people um, have just been all over the country devastated by this pandemic. You've got millions of jobs lost, some plenty of businesses, tens of thousands, probably more businesses that may be closed permanently that are done. How is your community there in Wichita Falls handled all this?
0: You know, it, it, like you said, I mean, this that, you said it so well, Robert, we all may be different different boats, but we're all in the same storm. So what I would say is as you look around, you would see that we've, we've got businesses here, some that had the capacity to, to be resilient. Some were innovative to be resilient. Uh, some were just very fortunate by virtue of their marketplace to be resilient. But at the end of the day, I think, Everybody who's committed to, committed to something is going to find a way to make it work. It may not look the same. It may not feel the same, but they're going to find a way to make it work. And um, for those who have, we applaud them. For those that might not have made it, um, I, I, we want to be empathetic. We want to say, how can we help? Uh, you know, what What can we do as we, as we make these turns to come out of these hurdles that we face? What can we do to help you maybe find that next step? Because we are all in this together. Nobody wanted this. This is not politics. This, yeah. no, nobody wished this on anybody. So what I would say is, is we've all got to be strong and empathetic uh, to get around it, get over it. And in our country, I really hope our kids see what's going on. You know, a lot of times people, you've heard them talk about the greatest American generation, and they say that, you know, it was the greatest American generation, World War II. You know, they came back from the war and they started businesses and our economy grew. But if you'll do a little research on that, what you're gonna find is that the generation of the greatest generation was really the children of the Great Depression. They were the yep. children of World War One. Yeah, They were the kids that watched their parents overcome some of the most trying times in this country. So when faced with the challenge, they stood up to the enemy and said, not only are we going to beat the enemy, but when we come back, we're going to make our country better. So I would argue that they were the greatest American generation, not because of where they were in time, but because of the adversity they affect they 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 dealt with early in their life. Yep. I'm hopeful that your kid your son and my children they're going to be that generation that's going to be re- resilient and innovative one day cuz they're going to watch what we've done. Yep. And they're going to say, "Hey, they kept a positive attitude. They kept their chin up. It wasn't perfect. There were moments that we cried. There were moments that we were down. There may be moments that we had to borrow or give something up." to make ends meet but our kids will never forget that sense of resiliency
1: well and i like to say circumstances don't don't define you your resiliency and your response to those circumstances is what's what defines you um good it's uh you know yeah it's been a hell hell of a year um but i want to take just a quick second here and talk about your family um you're married, you got kids, how are they handling all this 2020 insanity?
0: They're doing great. So my oldest son, he's a machine worker. And uh, obviously there was some concern there for a while that uh, their ability with the energy might be, uh, the energy industry might affect their ability to stay in business, but uh, they became innovative and started milling parts for other needs. Great example. So he's doing great. Um, my daughters, uh, both work in the healthcare industry. My, my daughter, Abigail actually works on the COVID floor of the hospital as a nurse. Wow. So we get kind of the firsthand of what's going on there. My other daughter works at a, at a clinic, uh, and she has had COVID. Oh my. (laughs) And then my youngest son, William, uh, he's a he's a competitive soccer player, so we make we make trips to the Metroplex, the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex, every weekend, where the protocols are pretty stringent, even for parents uh, in the stands to watch uh, our kids compete. But uh, thank you for asking. They're doing great. And then I have a grandson, Liam, uh, who you know I tell everybody. You know, we work the whole front of our lives. We work on being dad and now I get to spend the rest of my life being pops. I kind of like that.
1: It's so. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I think Sarah's dad is a lot the same way. Uh, you know, he, he grew up as, um, and Ray Sarah is, is a chief master sergeant, but I think he likes the title no-no a lot better than, than the other one.
0: He does. Trust me.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. You, he,
0: you will one day too. I,
1: I look forward to it, but. God willing, not anytime soon. <laughs> we, give me 15 years and then I'll be definitely looking forward to it. Now, you speak at fair conventions and, and FFA conventions across the country. Um, what do you tend to talk about uh, in these conversations that you have in your keynotes?
0: Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think that the, the one that probably more than any other that fairs and expos want want to visit about is how to live your brand. And I share how to live your brand through a couple examples. Number one, through my own life experience. So I kind of try to take listeners through, you know, what it was like to grow up in a broken home and be a troubled boy, get sent to a boy's ranch to find your path through the FFA um, and through stock showing. I, mean, I want to share with them that you know, I understand that you're putting on an affair and expo, but I want them to really understand that what you may not realize is the effect that you're having on somebody's life in in a very significant way through life skill training, life skill training. So I would say that living your brand has probably been one of the most popular topics that I'm asked to come and speak about. And then a lot of times I also speak about, you know, just leadership uh, how we how we tell our story. I'm a, you know as you know that's how I think you and I met is is how do we tell our story? How do we use social media platforms and and um, these outlets to to tell our story to share our own personal brand to share our organization's brands. So I would say those were the main topics that I'm asked to come and speak about.
1: Sure, and that is exactly where we met. I remember giving a. You know, a how to social media class at Arizona Fairs. And then the next day, they had you as the, the keynote for the opening of the convention. And I remember seeing that, oh, he's Texas FFA and thinking, well, I'm not really an ad guy, but it's the key, it's the keynotes, opening convention, I'll be there. And you start speaking. And I had people nudging me in the audience going, that. He's. You got. You guys should speak together. You're, it's exactly what you were saying. You man. Oh man. This is what you know. And it just worked out that way. That the messages we were delivering were very much in line with each other. You speak a lot about emotional intelligence when it comes to that messaging and how our our brand's message on social media. How important do you think our messaging is on social media right now in the middle of a pandemic?
0: Well. That's that's a good question. You know, here's the thing, though, Robert. uh, I don't I don't always like when we say, "Well, why do we do it different in a pandemic?" Because you've you've taught me that a little bit. I mean, you know, I remember one of the I I, I caught one of your podcasts or one of your your snips one time, your videos, and it was about what's the one thing that we're all trying to get, and that's everybody's attention. Yep. and I wrote that down. I said, man, that, that is spot on right there. It's all about attention, 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 attention. So what I would say, Robert, is even though we're in a pandemic or even we're dealing with this corona thing, it doesn't change. We either make ourselves relevant or we're not. Yep. It doesn't change. I mean, I wish I could say, well, things are different. I did a podcast for a leadership, um, oh, uh, a Morningside College leadership development event, and it was about networking in a pandemic environment. Nothing changes. Networking is networking. It doesn't matter if we're in a pandemic. It may look a little bit different, but it's still networking.
1: It's still your messaging. Yeah. So
0: to your point, you know, I don't want us to get caught up in thinking that, well, we're, we're down right now. And because we're down, we don't need to do this or we don't need to do that. No, things you still have to make yourself relevant because there are stakeholders out there that are watching. And if they watch you give up, well, why should they stay hitched to you?
1: It's a great point.
0: If you, if you show them that you can be innovative and you can maneuver and that you will find other ways to perform, to communicate, to share, to engage, they will take note of that. I, I guarantee you, they will take note of that. Yeah. So, I would just say nothing really changes. Um, it just might change the way it looks.
1: Yep. I had one guest that, you know, they're concerned. They're looking at their, their 21 show. And um, right now they're, their reduction, you know, their um, I guess their modeling for their numbers is down like 40 or 50%, you know, attendance at best. And they're concerned, you know, man, how do we, how do you, and I'm paraphrasing here, but you know, how do you ask someone to spend month, you know, $10 on a ticket if you're not giving them $10 of value? How do you, does it damage the brand if you have 40% less stuff at your fair, less food vendors, less entertainment? And I told them, I said, you know, the, the key to that is entirely messaging. And it is that I think if you're straightforward with your community and tell them, look, we've all gotten the snot beat out of us this last year. Fair is going to look a little different, but we're going to make sure that you have a fantastic and a safe time when you're here. I think they'll be they'll get rewarded for that. But like you said, this real secret to that, there's nothing special there. Don't they do that on a normal year? Hey, whether you're charging $10 or doing a $7 ticket or you have to communicate the message that our product, you're going to get more than your money's worth when you come out here. Period. That message, the message doesn't change, pandemic or not.
0: Period. You know, um, I was doing a, a Generation Ziegler, uh, Zig Ziegler Company. We, I was doing a Generation Ziegler with um, high school and college kids from across the United States. And I'll never forget this one young lady from North Carolina. She asked me, she said, Mr. Alejandro, my father's a pastor, and we have been meeting virtually as a congregation She said, when this pandemic is over with, do you think we will go back to meeting as a congregation? And I looked at her and I I said, well, I said, I think I can answer that question quickly and accurately. I said, my 54 years on this earth, I've never not seen birds flock, fish school, dogs pack, covey quail, cattle get together, In my lifetime, every animal species I've witnessed gets together and they always have. And they've done that through floods and hurricanes and disease. And guess what? I'm convinced that when this is over with, we're just itching to get back together. And even though that fair or expo may not look the same, people want to get back together. And it it won't matter if I don't have every single ride that I had or every single experience that I used to have just the opportunity to congregate, socialize, and get together is going to be a driving force behind fairs and expos, bringing communities back together.
1: Absolutely, and I think the next, you know, 12 or 18 months up to maybe 36 months, things may look and feel different, but I, I we lose perspective. Um, I think especially when I talk to young people, um, and Gary Vaynerchuk has talked about this for years, that You know, young people that are 20 to 25, 18 to 25 right now that are looking at this as the complete end of the world, they were little kids when the recession hit in 2008. They were probably not even born or just born after 9-11. This is the first time a young generation has gotten punched in the face. And it sucks for them. It sucks for all of us. But what I can tell you is this. The best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. And if you look back through history, when the United States of America, and frankly, in the world has been punched in the face, we get back up, we dust ourselves off and onward we go. There will come a time when we will. And here's the scary thing. If you want a, a thought on perspective, people had these same, oh, man, this is the end of the world thoughts after the 2008 recession, after H1N1, after 9-11, after you name it, what's going to happen in the future when we look back and go, man, COVID really wasn't that bad? <laughs> Think about that for perspective, right? So
0: yeah, I don't want to give it away because maybe there's a fair expo out there that I haven't spoke at. But uh, for those that have heard me speak, you know, there's a slide or two that I use with kids on their cell phones and how technology is making us antisocial
1: and And then here's it's the news it's the newspaper shot
0: and so you know the the reality is to your point uh, life is just a matter of perspective the bible the bible is clear about that and you know i tell people all the time whether you look at the bible as a history book or as a book of of spiritual enlightenment makes me no difference here's what i can tell you everything in that book has come true except for one thing so the book's pretty accurate But one of the things that the book says is in that book, it says, there is nothing new said under the sun. Yep. So to your point, Robert, we're not dealing with anything that our great grandparents didn't deal with or their great grandparents didn't deal with. Yep. We're we're just dealing in an age where our ability to share our anxieties, our ability to share our resiliency our enthusiasm, our perspectives has definitely changed. Well, yeah. Because and,
1: imagine, problems. imagine being in, uh, you know, 1918 and not having this ability to communicate instantly visually across the globe. I, you know, I think when we look back, we keep hearing comparisons to 1918 and I feel like, well, one, we have way better sanitation, but back in 1918, as that pandemic got going, they weren't able to get information out as fast. We literally can instantly get information out and our reaction time is, is nothing now.
0: I agree. Yeah, no, you know, I, when this whole thing started and I kept hearing this word socially distancing, socially distancing, I refuse to say socially distancing just so everybody knows. What I will tell you is I'll be physically distant. I'll do what I'm supposed to do. I will be physically distanced, but I refuse to be socially distanced because technology (laughs) affords us the opportunity to stay connected.
1: Absolutely. And it's funny you say that. Use the exact same words that Angel Moore from the Alameda County Fair did when I recorded with her. They got tired of hearing social distance, social distance. So they said, no, no, no. we can be physically distant, but we're still going to be social. That is correct. And, and I think, um, you know, that's a perfect segue over to this next part of the uh, the discussion. You and I talk trends throughout the year, social media trends, marketing trends, you know, kind of get on the phone every now and then. I see a, the phone rings, I see it's Aaron, and I say, well, what, what did he read about social media? Because I know where that conversation is going to go. And a few weeks ago, we had a conversation just like that. And you challenged me to watch this new Netflix documentary called A Social, The Social Dilemma. And I watched it, actually watched it twice the first time just to kind of uh, see it kind of raw for what it was. And then the second time to go back and listen real close and analyze a little bit more. So I've watched it. You've watched it. Let's have that discussion. What are your thoughts on that documentary?
0: Well, I mean, for me, there was no, um, I mean, it was a great documentary. Uh, I did not knee jerk, did not knee jerk it, just so you know. Uh, I immediately, just, you're get a kick out of this. I immediately thought of you because I watched an entire documentary that only talked about one really central topic, and that was attention. <laughs> and so when I watched it, I just laughed and I said, Here's Robert. Here's a guy that goes around fairs and expos. He's a musician. He's the conjurer. He's got got all of these titles. But, you know, sometimes if you'll just listen, the guys sitting here talking to you may have some wisdom that's worth assimilating. And when you said people's attention and then I watched the documentary, I said, that's what Robert's been talking about right there.
1: It is, and it's nothing new. Uh, I mean, this is not a new concept. I didn't come up with it. Gary Vaynerchuk didn't come up with it. It just, you know, wasn't Bezos. That is what human beings have sought forever: is the attention of the people around them.
0: Yeah. So this is my takeaways from it. This is what I've shared with people. Um, there have been people that I know that, as a result of watching the social dilemma, have deleted their social media platforms to shame um, I would say that that's a knee-jerk reaction that, that that's why I said I didn't knee-jerk it um, when you understand analytics and you understand behaviors and all that uh, okay I, I get it okay so here's here's what I've shared with people Robert I said there is only one omniscient being one. And that is God Almighty. There is no other omniscient beings. The devil is not omniscient. And guess what? Artificial intelligence is not in omniscient. It can only move on what cues we give it. Who's in charge of the cues? We are. We are in charge of what we post. We are in charge of what we choose to engage in. We are in charge of of what political discussions we we want to engage in. There is nothing there that uh, we have free will. We have the ability to say, I don't want to argue with them. I have the ability to say, I don't want to engage in in looking at this or or watching that or talking about this. But there is no omniscient being on the other side of that computer screen. It can only on my cues
1: you're right and you know for every time a, a piece of content comes out a documentary a, a new york times article on you know jeff bezos and how he's making amazon make so much money your how facebook knows what you want to buy and every i just laugh i just chuckle and and i i see things where you know it's it's awful um for because people are awful to each other, and we're seeing rises in in substance abuse and and suicide, and those are very very serious things. And I still come back to one thing, that is, social media did not change us; it exposed us. If you were if you were, lived a life of kindness and empathy and gratitude before, you have the tools at your disposal to amplify that kindness and gratitude. If you were a jackass and you were insulting and rude, you have the tools at your disposal to amplify that behavior. Um, my one caveat on that is we say that at, uh, at our age, <laughs> for, for me, uh, 41, for you, 39. And uh, you know, we say that, but we also grew up in a world that didn't have social media. So I think it might've changed for, for us the foundation of how we grew up is a little bit different than the foundation for how kids today are growing up. They didn't know a world without social media, so it might be a little more difficult for them to adjust. Which is why I tell parents that the greatest gift that they can give their children is overwhelm them with self esteem.
0: So that, that that that's what I was going to say. You hit the nail on the head. So, parent, the role of a parent hasn't changed. Correct. And, 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 and so to your point, what I have shared with, with other parents, by the way, Robert, is exactly what you said. You know, a, a good friend of mine told me it takes three things to raise a kid. I never forgot this. He said, love them, teach them to mind, and everything else is genetic. He said, you love them all the time, not just when you have time. You teach them to mind. You don't say pick it up, and if they don't pick it up, you pick it up for them. He said, if you'll love them and teach them to mind, he goes, everything else is genetic. It'll take care of itself. And I thought that was pretty good words of wisdom. Guess what? That hadn't changed. So if we can teach our children to be discerning, to know that your self-worth is not in likes or comments or shares. Right. That your self-worth, you know, when I work, before I took the foundation job, I used to work in a boot camp. I work with Truant Offenders. And um, one of the workshops that I used to do for those at-risk kids was a workshop on self-esteem. And I would write the word self-esteem up on the board and I I would make them repeat, what does it say? And they would always think it was real silly. And I'd make, i just keep pounding away. What does it say? What does it say? What does it say? And they said, self-esteem. I said, I just need to make sure y'all hear this. It doesn't say parents' esteem. It doesn't say teacher's esteem. It doesn't say friend's esteem, because guess what? There are going to be people in all of our lives that are going to let us down. Yep what we have to have is that internal fortitude that that, that those moments that maybe even those closest to us let us down or said something harmful, that our self-esteem, we know how to build it up in spite of all of that. So to your point, uh, the role of a parent, uh, they have to be aware. You know, you and I have talked many, many times about the 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 platforms you know anybody that's heard me speak at these workshops that i do at fairs and expos i cannot tell you how many people have actually gone out and gotten a social media account because i've told them if you are not there you are noticeably absent yep you've got to get in the game
1: yeah and they may, and honestly even for people that don't want to do it if you don't want to do it personally Um, I understand you want to keep your life private. You want to not put pictures of your kids up. You don't want people knowing when you go on vacation. Okay. That's fine. But from a business standpoint, you, I mean, you gotta be, you gotta be in the game. Um, you know, we talk about kids that have been, you know, over the last decade or so, especially, you know, if you, if you look and they talk about this in the social dilemma, somewhere around 2010, when they start tracking, you know, drug, substance abuse and, and suicide attempts um, in young people. It was right about 2010 where they started to see a marked increase, which is where social media got into our, really our smartphones, the iPhone had just come out and it really started to go to scale. But I still say that part of that, if you really dig deep, um, I think a lot of that comes back to parents are you trying to build your kid's self-esteem or are you trying to build a product in a child so that you look good? And I think there's a real mistake that parents are making out there. I mean, we see it with the, you know, the, the college admission scandal. I mean, here's Lori Laughlin, who's, you know, from, from full house fame, got more money than I could ever spend in two lifetimes. This isn't, she could, her kid could go to any college and she could write a check for it. But it had to be USC because, you know, at the country club, she wanted to be able to tell all her friends, my daughter goes to USC. Well, is that is that where your kid wants to go? Is that where the program is going to best suit them to go? I mean, I can tell you there's a lot of programs out there that kids are going to school and spending you know, one hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars in college debt when they could get that same program for $55,000 or, you know, at a division two school, like ENMU over in Portales, where I went to school or, or a school in Wichita Falls or Amarillo, where you, it, it's not UCLA. It's not USC. It doesn't have the prestige around it, but I don't think people realize nobody really cares where you went to college unless you're like, I know people that, you know, we're going to medical school at, at Ivy league. And I know people who went to medical school at UNM here and it doesn't matter, but you get parents in there that go, Oh, I can get my kid at USC. all will look better. And then look at the disaster that happened around that.
0: Yeah. I, I would say this, Robert, you're what you, when you refer to the 2010, um, you're, I'm, not, I'm blacking out there. Uh, when you refer to the 2010, I would say, um, you know, there's no question we can always benchmark points of history. Sure. Um, but they don't, they don't derail, they don't replace the role of the words of wisdom from a parent to be, you know, to help our kids learn to be discerning, to learn to listen to both sides. Yep. You know, I tell my friends on both sides of the political spectrum, I love to listen to both sides. And the answer is generally somewhere in the middle. You know, but you got to listen, you got to be willing to listen to both sides to get to the middle. Yep. Um, But uh, yeah, I think there's an opportunity here. Um, I I don't see this as the, you know, that's the reason why when I saw the show, I I was waiting for you to see it. I wasn't going to knee jerk it. Uh, It's not the end of the world. Uh, Social media is not controlling our lives. Right. Uh, We're in control of our lives.
1: Well, and And in some ways, I think it's going to give us time back.
0: Well, obviously it has. It already has. I mean, look at what technology's done to make our lives easier, uh, to make us a free up time that we can do other things. Um, you know, and then I guess on a selfish point, I will say this. So on a selfish point for all the ag people that are watching this, you know, I'm a big believer that these platforms are great platforms to share what we do. So I tell people all the time, get out there and get you some green time. Go get all that green time, get out there, get your fingers in the dirt, get your kids out there fishing and hunting and conservation and enjoying the great outdoors. Go get that green time and then share it on screen time. So go get that green time and share it right here and show other people what it looks like to get that breath of fresh air. Yep. to see the wonders of our world and nature.
1: Well, we were. I was talking with another another guest about this when you're talking about because that's really you're you're talking about great content right there that's family friendly that makes people happy. Um, but then you see so much garbage coming across social media. You see so much political arguments and this, that, and the other. Um, you know, a um, couple months back when the Cuties documentary was coming out on Netflix, there was so much. Viral pushback against it, and I just kind of sat here giggling, thinking it's amazing the people who are against this documentary. And fair, I, one side of the aisle or the other on where you stand on that documentary, it's is irrelevant. But the fact that you're out there talking about it, you're sharing, you're saying, "Oh, well, you should delete Netflix because of this." I, when speaking with Angel Moore at, at Alameda County, it, you know, I, I use the words that the the algorithm. Um, does not have a moral compass. The algorithm just sees, oh, Netflix Cuties is being talked about. I'm going to suggest this to more of this person's friends because they probably, and it drives conversation about it. We're guilty in the fare industry and ag industry ourselves of it. We, we have so many self-inflicted wounds because you get some animal rights group that puts some nonsense video out that we all know is garbage, is, is faked, or it was literally, it was a setup um, but instead of clicking on those three little dots and telling it hide this post because you don't want to see it, we we comment on it, we react to it. It's easy now because you can react with the grumpy face, so that the algorithm doesn't care. The algorithm just sees more activity on it. So you know when you think about that Netflix thing, quit talking about it. Go no, thumbs, do a thumbs down on Netflix, and then and then that's what Netflix's algorithm is going to go. This isn't real popular, but as long as you're talking about it, it's going to share it.
0: I know we're to the end here, Robert, but I want to say it because you just said something. So anybody's ever heard me speak, put this in the chat, Robert, put it somewhere. UGC, 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 UGC user generated content, user generated content. Think of it as a virtual high five. Even if it's our enemy, if you comment on it, share it, engage with it in any way, you are creating user-generated content for the enemy. Yep. That is the bottom line. So to Robert's point, you're better off hiding it, ignoring it. Not. Let me be real clear. There's a difference between ignoring it and not being aware. Correct. Big difference. You need to be aware, but do not give them user-generated content.
1: Yep. If you if you're if even if you're giving the grumpy face and you're sharing it with a comment to all your friends that says, "This video from this animal rights group was garbage." Yep. The the algorithm does not have a moral compass. And so often when I see these videos from, uh, you know, whoever the animal rights group are, go out um, when you go look at the the retweets or the shares or the comments. The majority of it's from us trying to argue back and make a point. Let them have their thing. They're going to put it out. Ignore it. That's the way that algorithm works.
0: You're not going to change their mind. Correct. You're not going to change their mind. They're not going to change yours. So guess what? Instead of worried about the twenty percent on the other side of the room, compete for the sixty percent in the middle.
1: Yeah, for sure. And really, when you're what I I would advise to people when they see content they. Don't like something like you know uh, the Humane Society or Peter or something putting some nonsense out. When you're about to leave a comment before you click send, you need to ask yourself: Are you willing to help them promote that post? Because if you're not, if you don't want that post promoted, don't leave that comment. Because that's, that's right. the only thing you can do. But even if your comment is negative against it, even if you're right and they're wrong, it's not a question of right and wrong. It's a question of are you promoting it for them? and that's emotional intelligence going i know i'm right i know they're making a faulty point here what would be better would be for you to produce your own piece of content that tells the truth without referencing them
0: i've seen some robert smith videos like that that are really good by the way he so,
1: every every now and then i i don't know what it's it's in the water there in albuquerque but every now and then he makes a good point <laughs> good. so listen i appreciate you being on the show you were just about out of time for today but everybody that comes on this show gets asked a series of speed round questions. And I got I got a few questions here for you. Let's see how you do with them. Are you Aaron Alejandro? Are you ready? Yes. Question number one, coffee or tea? Coffee. How do you take it? Black. What's your favorite movie? Ooh,
0: can I have more than
1: one? You may have two.
0: Okay. Um, Serious movie Schindler's List. Uh, funny movie. Ruthless People.
1: Ruthless People. All right. Love but, ruthless people. I think I know the answer to this one, but I'm gonna ask anyway. Boots or sneakers? Boots. Of course.
0: Dustin boots.
1: <laughs> right. Does pineapple belong on pizza? Ooh, mm,
0: it can, especially if you got some like some peppers on there. Like if I put like some Carolina Reaper or Ghost Pepper on but- there a little a little pineapple nice
1: first celebrity crush
0: oh christy uh what was her name
1: it was a memorable one clearly
0: well she i can't it starts with an m but it was a show i was growing up with back in the day i guess i should have said mary ann on the on gilligan's island maybe oh that's
1: a safe one that's definitely a safe one Uh, And last question, if money is no issue, what's the first place you would travel after the pandemic ends?
0: If money was no issue, um, somewhere in the tropics, and and that could be in the Mediterranean, it could be uh, in the Western Hemisphere, it wouldn't matter to me. You just Um, want an island someplace. I'm a diehard Parrothead. I love the beach. I love the sand between my toes. And uh, anywhere I could get where there's a hammock and some Jimmy Buffett music, I'd be happy.
1: I dig it. I dig it. And you you know, you mentioned your, your favorite serious movie was Schindler's List. You know, at the end, they talk about um, how they plant a tree for him on the Avenue of the Righteous um, in Israel. And when I was 15 or 16, our church took a, a youth group pilgrimage to Israel. And we went to, it's right outside the Holocaust Museum there, we went to the Avenue of the Righteous, we saw that tree, and it is one of the most humbling experiences. The only experience that I've had that has been more humbling in my life was the National World War II Museum in New Orleans.
0: That's beautiful.
1: Yeah, it's fantastic.
0: The reason I love that movie from a serious standpoint, you know, the right thing is always the right thing, and humanity is humanity. And as simple as those terms sound, that that's the beauty of that that movie is that a man chose to do the right thing because it was the right thing, and he did it because of humanity. Yeah, and it's just to me, it's just a beautiful, beautiful example.
1: Yep, I agree. Aaron Alejandro, the head of the Texas FFA Foundation. Aaron, if folks want to get a hold of you, where can they reach you?
0: I'm easy to find just Aaron Alejandro on social media and you'll find a Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, um, YouTube. I'm not hard to find. Uh, But if you were looking directly, I would say go to mytexasffa.org, mytexasffa.org and we'll, we'll connect.
1: Awesome. Aaron, um, I just got to tell you, your friendship has had a great impact on my life in the last few years that we've known each other. I appreciate you. Um, I'm sorry we're not going to get to see each other at conventions this year, but we will we, catch up we will we catch would. up with each other at some point. Yes, sir, we will. Thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to the Fair Game podcast. Fair Game is a production of Robert Smith Presents. For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.